not have a sound system, so it's going to be like old-timey church up in here yeah. where we're going to be preaching to you. So listen. Get your fans out. What's your name in the hat? Yeah. Paige, will you like raise your hand if you can't hear anything we're saying okay. in the course Special. of this? Okay. I did, it's just, you know, you paid to come here, so I'm giving you a job. <laughs> All right. Because I'm from the South, so I have like a big mouth on me. I can yell and holler, but Marleya, she's going to be like a little bit softer. So I laugh really to... loudly, but that's like the only thing that I do really loudly. <laughs> like to the point where like you have to turn your radio down, kind of laugh at her. <laughs> Hi, guys. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Are we going to do our thing? This is weird. Yeah, hold on. Give me a second. I'm not prepared. <laughs> I'm not prepared. I'm too busy running my mouth. Come on. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. Come on. If you make me delete my story, I'm going to be upset. <laughs> okay. Hang on. <clears throat> Scroll, 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 scroll. All right. So if you are looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. <laughs> However, if y'all think you can live with that, welcome to the Strange South. <laughs> I'm so glad you all came out. It's been Yay! raining all day and it's all day. Hard. It was nasty weather. So I'm Patrice Anderson. I'm Marleya Blades. I just touched my blood. Sorry. <laughs> that was weird. I was like, <laughs> I'm Patrice Anderson covered in blood. Right. Um, and each week we get together and we drink Southern Drinks by bartender Courtney. Who's in the house. And we swap creepy stories from the South. Like monsters, murderers, witches, weirdos, haunts, and history. Yes, and this week we are here at the Goat House Beer Garden. The Goat House! Yeah, and this is our Halloween edition, so we're going to release this on Thursday, so it'll be a couple of days early, so you'll be able to hear it um, through our website or through whatever podcast software that you have or use. And I kind of want to give you a warning. So yes. if you've never listened to the podcast. so Has any of you never listened to the podcast? Okay. You've... Okay. So okay. Here's, here's your warning. So we cuss. Okay. <laughs> we drink and we cuss. So if that offends anybody, then. You're at the wrong show. Wrong show. <laughs> right. Because usually what happens is that Marleya does a really spooky story and scares the shit out of me. And so I'm just sitting here, like, you know, cussing at her for giving me nightmares and keeping me up at night. I just cuss for fun. <laughs> True. Um, yeah, I think this time she's the one with a creepy story, though. So be so excited. Yes, she's, like, been talking about this for oh. ages, so not to build it up or anything, you know. Right. No, yeah, no, no expectations. Pressure. It's fine. Um, has any of y'all ever been to the Goat House before? Yeah. I have. So we want to thank James and Aaron thank for you. having us, and we're yes. going to give you a little gift. Of <laughs> it was super expensive. Coasters. Thought about y'all. <laughs> and congratulations, congratulations for getting married. Um, but uh, yeah, the first time I came to the Goat House was May of last year. And that's right, right? It was it was the spring of last year, I think, 2018. That was still last year, right? I'm like way ahead of myself. And uh, Courtney and I came into Montgomery just to, you know, have a weekend, just to hang out. We went over to um, Jackson Lake Island and saw the big fish set and everything like that when we came. 
And so we'd never been here, and we stayed at the Airbnb that James has upstairs here, which is super cool. So if you've never, you know, if you've never been here or stayed there, check it out on Airbnb. But, um, you know, we, we were up there, and we didn't think that there was anybody else up at the Airbnb for the weekend because we hadn't seen anybody else. We hadn't heard anybody else. And so, you know, the first morning after we got there, we got up, and we're swearing that we hear like creaks and groans and weird noises like out in the hallway outside of our room and you know the night before we'd gone up into the little turret that's up here to look out at montgomery you can see the whole skyline and everything like that but you know this is an old house and it it can look a little creepy if you're not you know and so uh you know we're sitting in the room and we're like should we go out there because the coffee's out there and i have to go out there um but it sounds like there's somebody out there and so we're like poking our heads around and we see like the shadow of this like seven foot tall bald man <laughs> standing outside of our door. And we're like, oh my God, what is happening? And then turns out James who, you know, who owns the place had come in overnight from on like a red eye flight and was just like stopping in to grab coffee and uh, say hi to us to like welcome us to the Airbnb. So we're like, oh my God, we thought we met our first go ghost <laughs> at the goat house that night. Um, but yes, it's a super fun place to go, and we are really, really glad to be here. Oh, yes. We have been, like, so looking forward to this. We've started planning it several months ago. Mm -hmm. um, so the fact that we're here and doing the live show, stoked. And we're doing costume party. Thanks to everybody yes. who dressed up. Super cool. Awesome. Um, we dressed as characters from the show tonight. Um, Somebody's already guessed, but I think they looked it up. Because we told them what episode. So don't say anything. Does anybody know? you got to stand up. Oh, I'm sorry. i got to do the pose. you got to stand up. Does anybody know oh. who Patrice is? No? Lizzie Borden's a guest. She's got the axe. Okay. Not the hug and Molly, but you're close. You're getting closer. Like in... No, not hugging Molly. From just north of Aniston. It's Viola Hyatt. Yeah. Patrice is Viola Hyatt. She's she's from uh wait White Plains. Uh, White Plains, I think. White Plains or Glencoe. She's the torso killer of of Alabama. And I does. So Marleya. You're only going to know who I am if you listen to this show religiously. Does anybody, does anybody recognize really... anybody recognize this costume at all? No. Not a clue. Not a clue. Oh. What is it? Is it 16? Is it episode oh, 16? Oh, I don't know. Okay. We did an episode called Fucking Aliens. <laughs> and, <laughs> and if you haven't listened to it, you should. Because <laughs> she's the fucking alien. Because I'm the fucking alien. <laughs> and she's like a dead on ringer. Hold on, Jenna, we have you a seat, babe. Oh, yeah, Jenna, you want to sit up here? Um, hi. So, well... We're going to get on to it. Anybody? Okay, last, last shot. Anybody not get a raffle ticket? Because we're going to raffle in the mid part of the show. We're going to raffle a t-shirt for anybody. Okay. Oh, one Wait, person. You got two one? people. Two people. And two people. In the, oh, oh, hey. <laughs> Trey's left in the Sorry, back. Sorry, Trey. <laughs> Husband's um, in the back. <laughs> so uh, the way that this works, 
I'm going to move this back. It, it kind of looks like we're using these microphones as props since we know that you can't hear us on the speakers, but we are recording this like we said, so we still have to talk into them. Um, the way that this works is this time it's my turn to go first, right? Right. Okay, so I tell a story. We go pee. <laughs> And then, and then, and then Patrice tells a story. So that's how we're gonna go. And during the break in the middle, we'll raffle off a T-shirt. Yes, and we um, during our mid-story break too, we're gonna give everybody a chance to kind of like get up. If you want to head back to the bar for a second, run to the bathroom. We'll we'll take a little short break then, so that everybody can you know kind of stretch out, cool off a little bit, come back in. Right. Please come back in. Please come back in. <laughs> All right. So, um, like I said, I am a fucking alien. Um, <laughs> Not the sexiest costume I've ever worn, admittedly. I like, I touch my face a lot. And I was telling these guys like earlier, I, I keep forgetting that I have all this face makeup on. So I don't understand why everybody keeps on looking at me weird. Um, but because I'm just like, I'm looking out from here. Um, it's, I was like, I was trying to think of what my sexiest Halloween costume would have ever been. And it was probably I, like in college one year, I didn't have one. And that's when all these seemed to like come out of the woodwork. And I just put on like a Victoria's Secret nightgown and a whole lot of makeup and went as the bad bridesmaid. <laughs> and that was like, and it worked, it worked okay. And it's funny because now I look back at it and I'm like, well, that was a little self-shamey. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but um, I guess I could go as like the erotically authentic bridesmaid next time. But um, so it's funny because I've been thinking about this a lot, going to the Halloween stores and all this kind of stuff. And it's all over the internet all the time. Everybody talks about sexy Halloween all the time, right? So it's like sexy Halloween costumes, and um, it's we and we've joked about it. Patrice oh and I have God. been doing like the run up of the Halloween costumes that we could actually wear. wear. <laughs> like right. over the favorite, still bag of rocks, bag still of rocks, the absolute favorite on that list. Yeah. Or or go as Patrice's hair, which you can't tell right now. No, it's I've got lovely. it all. It's very nice. Snooted up. She's yeah, <laughs> but um. So it's funny because we joke about these sexy Halloween costumes as if it's like a new thing, like sexy Halloween is a new trend. And um, it's like it's like women trying to get laid, God forbid, or attract romantic attention is like something that we created in our era. And it's not, <laughs> just in case you couldn't guess. <laughs> But um, it's actually older than Halloween, so that's a little bit. I'm talking about I'm talking about sex and witches tonight. Um, so well before like All Saints Eve or All Hallows Eve, the Celts in like what's Ireland, France, the UK now um, celebrated Samhain. Which okay, good. So there are people nodding. So did anybody else always call it Samhain? Samhain, because it's like there's this big argument on Reddit about whether it's Samhain or Sawain. So I'm going with Sawain because the angrier people said that. <laughs> um, there's a blog that I found that was called Quaker Pagan Reflections. And he said, Sawain is life's last great celebration before the cold and the dark set in. Sawain is, as a good Freudian would put it, all about sex and death. Sex, our answer to mortality. Okay, so it's a ritual celebration of the end of the harvest. It's also Celtic New Year, um, and it's also a celebration of the dead. So it's all these things, and it's all at a time, October 31st, when they believe that this veil between the spiritual world and the material world was thinner. So you could maybe talk to somebody from the other side, that kind of thing. Um, Wiccans and modern pagans still celebrate this today, but this is my favorite part about all the research that I did for this show. There's this article on Vice, and it's called Riding Dirty. 
and it's by Nell Frizzell, and I'll link it. We have a website with show notes and everything. All the links to everything we talk about, we post on the website at the end of the show. Um, this article talks about uh, the fact that Celtic women who had skills with herbs and, uh, excuse me, natural remedies, they figured out that they could make ointments for pain relief out of things like nightshade and mandrake and jimson weed. And um, they would relieve pain, and they were also, some enterprising person realized, pretty hallucinogenic. Um, and then, and this is one of those things that falls in the category of like, how did you figure out that this could be done? <laughs> Someone at some point figured out that they seem to work better and faster if these ointments are absorbed through the mucous membranes in the vagina. And there's no Adam and Eve at this time. There's no love stuff. There are no dildos. So uh, these ladies just greased up a pole and got their grind on, right? Um, so the, what, hold on. What, what time period are we talking about here? Oh, God. I mean, this is like Middle Ages and before. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, it's, okay. you know, it's, it's, it's as old as, tale as old as time. Um, so... Uh, the, the, here's the thing, the hallucinogens in the ointment give them like the feeling of flight. And I'm sure that like the dopamine release really helps with the pain. So uh, it said though, there was, there was this reference that I found that said on Samhain, are you gonna snort that out your chest? <laughs> Sorry, visual. That, <laughs> that said on Samhain, these healing women would do this and they would mount willow and birch branches, and they would just ride themselves raw through the harvest fields. And their jumping height would signify the height of next year's crop. See, what? it all comes back together. Oh. <laughs> I'm not like, boy, stop that. Yeah. Yes. Rewind. So they are Say. they are riding, riding branches I got that. through the crops feeling like they're flying because they're on drugs. Right. So they're jumping in the air, and as high as they can jump is how high the crops are supposed to grow next year. Okay. Hey, man, <laughs> it was from the internet. Okay. <laughs> I do not... All I right. think I, one of the things I think is really cool about this is this really means that the better you get off, the more successful you're going to be in life. Woo! Which I think, like, <laughs> I think everybody should really hold to this. I mean, amen, right? But um, so, of course, you know, this is this story is about women like treating their illnesses independently and masturbating. So, like, it was really, really unpopular with Christian white men, and they happened to be the people who wrote the books about it. So, um, these women became wicked witches on broomsticks. Oh, gasp! Um, so anyways, it was this celebration, it was this Samhain, not All Hallows' Eve, that's the origin of a lot of the little myths and traditions and stuff that you might see that persisted into Halloween in the U.S., especially if you're talking about the South, like the Appalachia and the Ozarks. So um, why is that? Does anybody know the answer to that question? Why would the South Appalachia... That's where the Scots-Irish settled. Yay, good job! <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, over time, Christianity dulls really the sexiest parts of the Samhain tradition. Um, it goes from kind of wild, drug-induced masturbating in cornfields to the much less sexy, but still sex-related, matchmaking on Halloween. Um, so, you know, though I personally would generally urge ladies, get back on your broomsticks. Um, 
the, um, <laughs> oh, I mean, how do you consider the right way to be? <laughs> but uh, finding the man of your dreams ended up becoming kind of the laser focus of society after a while. Um, or at least the man of your secure and financially stable future. And so it also became the focus of a lot of these Samhain traditions that continued on. You know, things evolve. So um, what traditions are we talking about? Ooh, you can't see that yet. So children would play games to entertain the dead. That was one, one tradition from Samhain. Well, it became children and adults a lot of the time, and, and young people in general would play games on Halloween. Um, here's one, though. So there's this creepy-ass game that happened in, like, the early 1900s. If you never thought bobbing for apples, though, did you ever think that was not a creepy game? That's a pretty creepy game. Like, it's scary. I, I only did it one time. It was at some school, school bazaar or something that we did in fifth grade, and it's like, so they, like, hold your hands behind your back and shove your head in a barrel. It's like... I don't know why this is fun, but this one is also Apple related. So there was this newspaper article that talked about they would hang up a stick horizontally from the ceiling by a string. So the, the stick is like this, and they would put a candle, stick a candle on one end of the string, a lit candle, and an apple on the other. And then they would twirl it really fast, and the people in the party were supposed to jump up and try to catch the apple in their teeth. <laughs> Right? I know. How did they not figure out that this was going to be like a recipe for disaster right away? It was like, so I'm probably, oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, candle wax all over every, actually, maybe it is about sex. I don't know. But um, it probably ended up with a lot of candles in the eye. Um, so, and that's, the, seriously, that's where this comes from. I don't know how many of you can see this, so you can pass it around. I found this, this is a really cool website that was like um, vintage postcards from the turn of the century. So there's postcard artist called EC Banks that was doing a lot of um, Halloween postcards. And this was the first thing that I found that depicted one of these Apple games. Is this not BDSM just a little tiny bit at least? Am I not? I mean, it's not just me, right? Is it? It is. Is it? It's just me? No? Oh, good. Thank you so much. <laughs> he says Again, crazy I've got the alien makeup. I really don't know how people are responding. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you can pass that around. But it's like, so for the people, for the people on the, the radio, um, the modern radio, it's a picture of like a Victorian woman in, Randy's probably going to correct me about the Victorian part, but the Victorian woman in a green dress with red hair with her hands bound behind her back, leaning forward with her bust sticking out, and an apple in her mouth, no teeth, no teeth, mind you. Um, so that, that, those kind of games they would play, fortune telling was a big part of Samhain. So the druids would tell fortunes, again, we're talking spirit world, material world, being really close together. So fortune telling is a big deal. Um, in Appalachia and the South in general, the fortune telling games persisted like well into the 20th century. They nearly always had to do with finding a husband. Um, there was this one, and this was originally, I think, from Irish Celts. You throw two hazelnuts into a fire. One is you, one is your boyfriend. If your boyfriend's nut cracks... <coughs> if your boyfriend's nut cracks, it means he's cheating on you. <laughs> if it burns silently, it means he's in love with you and you'll get married. This is... Okay, I'm not even shitting you. This is, this is the rhyme that you said when you played this game. If you hate me, pop and fly. If you love me, burn and die. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, 
Um, so there was another, oh, this is another, this is another great one. At midnight, while you're holding a candle in one hand and a hand mirror in the other, walk backwards down the cellar stairs while looking in the mirror to see your future husband's face. That's just dumb. I mean, but, and so I imagine a lot of deaths occurred playing this game. Um, there was, oh, here's another one. There was dropping, if you drop an egg white in a glass of water, the white was supposed to reform in the semblance of the future husband's face. Um, I guess assuming that your husband is really puffy and like pasty white. But you know what, if you've heard of this, it might be because in 1692 in Massachusetts, Betty Paris and her friend Abigail Williams used this technique, and one of them saw the shape of a coffin in the glass and went into fits and kicked off the Salem witch trials. So that's a fun one. Um, the one that I, I spent the most time looking at, maybe this is because I had never heard anything about it before. <clears throat> Can y'all still hear me back there? Okay. Is what they call the dumb supper. Has anybody ever heard of this before? No, okay, so neither had I. Um, some of these other traditions, like the fortune telling, they would be found all over the US. But um, the Dumb Supper was one that generally stayed south. So you'll see it mostly in like North Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, Arkansas, Louisiana. Um, again, Appalachia and Ozarks. And um, actually, we're gonna, from here on out, I'm gonna try and call it the Silent Supper. Dumb Supper is kind of considered derogatory, but dumb is the, you know, they're intending to say silent. We're not gonna speak during the supper. So we're gonna switch that to Silent Supper. Um, the tradition is one of the weirder, and yeah, despite all that I've already said, one of the weirder and more complex Samhain traditions. It comes from the Samhain Feast of the Dead. And um, in that, you would cook the meal in silence, you would lay out the food in silence, and you would put extra settings out for your dead relatives to come back and visit with you on the night of Samhain. Um, right? <laughs> Some people are like, ah, no. Um, you would leave your doors and windows open, because how are they gonna get in otherwise? Nope. Um, you would light candles to guide them. And this, okay, this is another little aside. I found this website called Lipstick and Quartz. And it's called, they had an article called Samhain Traditions for the Modern Witch. Awesome. And all the headers were in script fonts. And I was like, oh my God, there's Pinterest witches. <laughs> like they're for real. And I, I was proved right though, when I got to this, this was the statement. There is an old Samhain tradition to light a candle in a window of your home to help the dead find their way to you. The modern witch would partake in this tradition by lighting a few Yankee candles and putting them in the window. <laughs> I was like, well, you could do that, yeah. Sea breeze, I know. <laughs> Pumpkin spice. Um, so silent suppers um, in the South were usually prepared and set by girls and young women because over time, like a lot of these others, they evolved from a celebration of the dead to a fortune telling ritual for you to figure out who your future husband is gonna be. Um, so again, the supper was made to be made and eaten in silence as possible to um, mid as close to midnight as possible on Halloween. Um, they would make corn pone. They would, if there were, they, usually there were more than one person, there was more than one person participating. So, uh, you know, they, they would take turns stirring the pot. They would take turns um, shifting the skillet in the oven. Um, everybody had to place a piece of bread at her own plate and another on the plate next to her where there was no one sitting. There's an empty chair, but there's a plate with food. Um, some variations, it was like an unleavened bread cake. I imagine it was always corn pone probably, like in our area. Um, they always walked backwards 
while cooking and serving the supper, measured, and now this was just one person that said this part, measured everything by thimblefuls instead of spoonfuls or cupfuls. And I found that one in Arkansas, but I've actually heard it in Alabama too. Um, there were others that did a whole meal instead of just bread, you know, prepared in silence, set in silence. Um, those were served dessert first, appetizers last, all the plate settings are backwards, which wouldn't confuse me at all because I never know where they go. And um, the chairs might be turned around backwards too. Um, once they've set the table, they turn out the lights, light candles, open doors and windows, and sit in silence. Um, there's one version that says at the stroke of midnight, the girls are supposed to silently eat their piece of bread and then in the plate, the reflection of their husband's face is supposed to shine out at them. Um, there's another version that says at midnight, the phantom of the girl's husbands are supposed to enter and sit in the chair next to them that they've set with the piece of bread in the empty chair. Um, and then there's, there's another version that says the magic of the ceremony would actually bring the flesh and blood guy to sit in the chair next to you. I, whether he sticks around or not, I don't know. They didn't, they didn't get to that. Um, but uh, so if the girl sees nobody, it means she's never going to marry. That's... <laughs> I'm not going to go there. If the girl sees a shadowy, unrecognizable figure or a coffin, it means she will never marry and will die. Um, so <laughs> so uh, by the turn of the 20th century, like a lot of these, it's become more of a game than a ritual. So it shows up in the society pages. Mr. S&S had a dumb supper at their house, a silent supper. Um, it became something more like looking in the mirror and saying Candyman three times, you know, for, for younger kids. Um, or, or playing with the Ouija board, if you don't believe in the Ouija board, <laughs> just to scare yourself. Um, and parents didn't love it, for the most part, because it was like, stinks a little bit like witchcraft to them. So um, the, one source said, really, the only dangerous thing in doing a silent supper after a while was that the neighborhood boys would find out you were doing it and would try to scare the shit out of you while you were sitting around your table, which I think was most likely the point right. for a lot of these kids. Um, but, you know, despite that, there were a couple of creepier stories about the Silent Supper. So I pulled one, and that's going to be the story that I tell. This one came from the Ozarks. The version that I pulled was, um, it was told by Mrs. C.P. Mankey in a Branson newspaper in 1934. And I've embellished it just a little bit, um, but this same story in, in different forms was told all over the South because I found four or five different versions of it. Um, there was a young woman whose family went traveling and they left her at home to look after the house. Now, in the stories, she doesn't have a name. And Mrs. Mankey implies that's because the stories are true and they don't want to out somebody. But um, we're going to call her Janie because it just makes it a lot easier for me to tell a story if I have a name associated with it. So she's going to be Janie Williams. And Janie is a bold young lady. Um, she doesn't mind too much being left alone by her parents, but since it's Halloween, she decides she's going to ask a couple of friends over and um, keep her company. So, uh, well, they got to telling scary stories, because like I said, it's Halloween. They're talking about all the different ways that they've been scared before and all the things they could do to scare each other. And um, one of the friends says, well, why don't we do a silent supper? Kind of like a challenge. And uh, like I said, Janie's a bold young lady, and so she jumps right on this idea. And it's getting around 10 at night, and the girls figure, well, it's time to start gathering the ingredients and going in the kitchen and getting the dishes ready. So they head to the kitchen, 
And uh, just before Janie starts pouring the cornmeal, she notices her friends are just sort of shuffling around over by the stove. And she turns around and she goes, are you not going to help me with this? And one of them giggles and the other one blushes. And Janie realized they're both scared of this idea. Like it was their idea, but they don't really want to do it. And um, she takes this again as a complete challenge to herself. And she's like, well, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it by myself. So she tells them to keep quiet over there so that she doesn't, they don't mess it up. Because if you speak during the silent supper, all the magic goes away. Um, so by herself, Janie measures out the cornmeal. She mixes in the eggs and the lard and the milk. She mixes and she stirs. And while she does this, the wind outside starts to blow in. And she sets the pone in the skillet. She puts it in the oven. And while she does, the trees out in the dark start to bend over and the leaves start to fly sideways past the windows. So Janie pulls the skillet out, and then she's walking backwards around the kitchen like she's supposed to do. Then she's walking backwards around the dining room table, setting out the plates. And while she lays the plates, the storm starts to sound like it's fixing to take the whole house up into the air off the foundations. So her little friends are cowering in the corner of the dining room because they're thinking this is all related to what we're doing here. And she just starts to get really tickled by this idea that these two near-grown ladies are afraid of this Halloween game that she's playing. So just to rib them a little bit more, she walks over to the sideboard and she opens this drawer and she pulls out her daddy's sharp-bladed, deer-horn-handled knife. And she puts it on the table next to the second plate with a little smirk over her shoulder at her friends. And, you know, at this time, it's nearly time. It's almost midnight. And um, so Janie lights the candles. She cracks open the windows. And she sits down in front of her plate. And the clock starts to toll midnight. And out of nowhere, all the wind outside just dies. One, two, three. Janie can feel her friends quivering up against the wall behind her over her shoulder. Four, five, six. The candles start to flicker in. Seven, eight, nine, and suddenly the wind comes back stronger than it was before and <clears throat> runs like a gale through the house trying to break those half-open windows off. Ten, Janie has to reach out to hold the tablecloth down because of the wind, and she looks over her shoulder to see her friends clutching each other in the corner with crazy eyes. Eleven, the candles should be blowing out, but they seem to be getting bigger like little bonfires dancing on the table. And then the clock strikes 12. And there's just an instant of calm. And then all at once, the candles snuff out. The front door slams open with a crash. And lightning flashes to show the outlines of a tall figure standing in the doorway. In a split second of light, all they can really see are his eyes, which are wide and shocked and look haunted. And then it's pitch black again. And all the girls are screaming. And Janie can feel something moving in the dark beside her for just the narrowest little thread of a moment. And then she's up because she's a bold young lady. She's closing the windows because that's what you do when all the lights go out. She lights the candles back up. And as the familiar normal candlelight starts back up and warms up the room, they all look around and nobody's there. The door's not open. They're the only people in the room. The tablecloth is neat and in place. Everything is exactly like it was before they started. So the girls all three kind of look at each other, and they start giggling. And they're all a little bit embarrassed. And they're all still pretty strung out. 
And before long, they're just laughing and talking about how scared they all were and making fun of each other and how silly everything was. And Janie sets about to clean the dishes and get the food off the table, and she's still laughing. And then suddenly, she just stops. And her friends look up at her, and her face has just gone absolutely white. She's standing with a plate in one hand and the other hand frozen in the air over the table. And she looks, and then they look down and realize that deer-handled knife is gone. So it takes a little while for these young ladies to get over the fright of this Halloween night that they've had. But they do it like we all do it. They laugh. They say it was all their imaginations. They pretend like nothing ever happened. So Janie and the two girls stay friends for a lot of years. Um, each of the two girls finds a partner. They get married. One stays in town, one doesn't. But bold Janie has never found anybody that really strikes her fancy. And um, then one day, a strange guy came to town, comes to town, who's a distant cousin of one of the neighbors. And they're introduced at a party, and they hit it off immediately. And she takes to him like she's never done with anybody else, and they become inseparable. And so the two of them do marry. And they move into a little house two doors down from one of the two girls that she had this uh, Halloween night with. So at their one-year wedding anniversary, Janie decides she's going to cook her husband a nice supper, something special to celebrate one year. And she takes all those nice dishes out that her mama passed down to her as a wedding present. And she lays them out. And as she does, she's remembering this silent supper that she set out for her friends all those years ago with those same dishes that scared everybody half to death. And she's lighting the candles on the table when the clock starts to strike five. And her husband, he just gets home from work. He pushes open the door and he stands there and he's smiling at the table and all these wonderful things she's set out for him. And she looks up at him and for a minute she just is taken aback. And he sees her face change and he rushes over to her and grabs her hand and asks her what's wrong. And she says, well, it's the darndest thing. And she tells him all about that Halloween night, which she's never said and she really hasn't told anybody before because they were all kind of embarrassed about it. And um, she tells how um, she and her friends swore that they saw the figure of a man appear in the doorway. And she said, for a second, I thought, darn if you aren't just the same height as him. And it's not until she finishes telling the story that Janie realizes her husband's face is now the face that's turned deathly white. His jaw muscles are quivering and his eyes are wild and wide, and he turns without a word, and he walks to his case, which he had set down when he walked in the door. He opens it up, and he pulls out a knife, a sharp bladed knife with a deer handle. And Janie can't speak, she just stares at it. And her husband looks at her with absolute horror and rage, and he says, it was you. You were the witch. Do you not know I walked through hell that night? And the next afternoon, Janie's friend came to her house to ask if she could watch the baby for a minute, and she finds the door partly open. And when she goes in, there was Janie on the dining room floor with a knife buried into her chest all the way to its deer horn handle. The end. <laughs> I have questions. You got questions. I have questions. Tell me, what are your questions? Maybe we'll talk about this later. Okay. We'll talk about this for the after show. Okay, we'll save this for the after show. Yes. All right. Well, shall we take a quick bathroom that break? That was really good. Yeah. Good. I'm talking about.
about. I totally love that. <laughs> it was like informational, entertaining. And infotainment. Infotainment. Halloween infotainment. Yeah, so um, refills, everybody. The Goat House Beer Garden in Montgomery is our favorite place to go when we're in Alabama's capital, whether it's to do a show, to visit a dilapidated movie set, or to flip off the governor's mansion. <laughs> so I was talking to James, and he was telling me that the Goat House highlights local artists, singer-songwriters, makers, chefs, brewers, and entrepreneurs of all types, just like the Strange South, mm -hmm. big supporter. They intentionally support only original content because they believe that communities begin, grow, and sustain when creatives and entrepreneurs thrive. It's a great atmosphere, great company, and a lot of fun. And it's less than 10 minutes from Hank Williams' grave, which is haunted. So next time you go to say hi to old Hank, stop by the Goat House Beer Garden. Did you have a good break? Yeah. <laughs> Yay, you made it! Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, we have one lost sheep. We need to wait for our lost sheep. All right. So, um, if you're driving right now in the dark, I hope that you've locked your doors and that you don't get a flat because if you do, you're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> so. If you're listening to this at home alone and you're about to go to bed and you can hear my voice, make sure all of your doors are locked and your windows are closed. It might be a good idea to have one to ten lights on. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm going to talk about tonight um, is not as popular or talked about as much as Bigfoot. However, I am going to talk about the urban legend of Goatman. Oh! So... Goatman! What is... <laughs> what is Goatman? So, Goatman, there's been reports of Goatman sightings from, like, Maryland, Kentucky, Pennsylvania, California, and other states. But... Um, where it's been around for a while, and some say that it started like back in Greece with really? like you know um, you know half man half goat um, like the Minotaur but a goat right or, or <laughs> what the satyr satyr oh there we go right <laughs> satyrs um, is also a very popular there's a goat man um, legend in Native American history and we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, but in the Native American history of Goatman, they also kind of compare him to skinwalkers. <gasps> oh, so skinwalkers. This is what I'm going to talk about tonight. And this is all from a post that I found from this guy. Um, so I rewrote it so that I'm not talking in um, first person like he is. But when I read this, I've read this, like, I found this this summer, and then we found out that we were going to do this here. And so I've been sitting <laughs> on this. And every time I read it, I hope it creeps you out as much as it creeps me out. Because <laughs> if not, then I'm a fucking pussy. Because <laughs> I read this to my husband out loud last night, and then I literally, like, kept the lights on all night. Yay! <laughs> so... Um, the guy that wrote it, I don't know his name, so I'm going to call him Jason. Okay. So not Jason Voorhees, but could possibly be, right? So Jason was 16, and he lived in Chicago, but he has, like, relatives down in Alabama. And he came down to visit his relatives in Alabama, 
Um, they had like a farm and all of this land and down around Huntsville. And I don't know what it is about Huntsville. Something's going on with Huntsville because it's like the second story I talked about, kind of the wooded area in Huntsville. Oh, yeah. Um, so they have like his uncle owns like a big house and a bunch of trailers out in the woods. And they have like kind of a, a hunting camp kind of situation where people will stay out in the trailers and they'll camp and they'll go hunting and stuff. So his cousins, you know, had him come down and they're like, come down, let's go camping. And as Jason is like a kid from the city, they tease him a lot because he's not a country boy or anything like that. And they're like, okay, we're going to go kill some pigs and some chickens and get all the camping stuff. And that's what we're going to eat when we're down there. But that's not really what they do. They just tease him about that. So they get to the camp. Um, and when they get there, it's obvious that there's something wrong. So to get to the camp, they have to like walk a really like long way down this trail from his uncle's property. Um, and it's like two trailers and like a little um, utility building between them. So they get to the camp and they said that in the air, there's this really weird electronic smell. It's like, it's like right before a storm, or it's kind of this ozone kind of smell. It's very strange. Um, but they didn't really think about it. They're like, oh, something's stinking, something's weird. And then they just, you know, get on because they're all excited um, about going camping. And so they go and they get, um, they go swimming. There's a creek and everything. And um, they do that. And while they're in the creek, all of a sudden, this older guy, and uh, this younger teenager comes out with shotguns, and they're like, oh, uh, shit. You know, they, like, start hearing banjos or that's something. That's my nightmare. Like, right? <laughs> so it's already, like, you know, but it was just the neighbor, the neighboring, you know, property guy, and he's like, hey, who are you? And, like, who's your people kind of thing. Um, and so they knew Jason's uncle who owns the land, and they're like, well, we own the land, you know, right next to you. And they're like, well, we're camping out, out his stuff. And they're like, okay. And so the young teenager goes, can I come with you? And they were like, yeah, sure, come along. Um, and so the, uh, the guy's father is like, well, be careful and stick together because there's like, was a really big animal in the woods or something crazy going on. Um, and, you know, just be careful. Keep your eye out. Watch out for weird people walking up on you with shotguns. All right? <laughs> So they ended up playing football and having a really great time out there on the land. And Tanner, who is the, the teenage boy that lives, you know, on the property next door, you know, he comes in and he's playing with them and everything. And it's a, it's a big group of kids. So it's Jason, his five cousins, and four of their friends. So it's not everybody knows everybody. So, you know, Jason knows his cousins, his cousins knows his friends, and his friends knows the cousins. It gets really, like, there's a, a big group of people. Um, so there were five girls and six boys, and they were all between the age of 15 and 17. So if you're from Mississippi or Alabama or somewhere out in the country, this is totally, I remember doing shit like this. I remember getting big groups of kids together, doing the bonfire, going out drinking, like making out, you know, <laughs> all the things that you do when you're a country kid and you don't have anything else to do, right? <laughs> so they're all together, so five girls, six boys, and they head back to the camp and they start putting some stuff on the campfire, um, even though the trailers had kitchenettes. Um, and so they're getting everything ready 
And Tanner wants to go ask his dad if he could stay the night. So he runs back to his property. And, um, and while that's going on, uh, Rooster says he's, he's going to go with, oh, Rooster is Jason's cousin. So Jason's cousin, Rooster, decides he's going to go with Tanner. Rooster? Rooster. Okay, just checking. Yeah, Rooster, <laughs> right, um, is one of the cousins. He's going to go with Tan, and also another girl is going to go along. So three of them go off. So this is the first night, and it's around 7 p.m., and it's getting pretty dark. Um, so Rooster and Tan and the girl uh, take flashlights, and they go off towards Tan's property, Tanner's property. And the reference them just sit back. They do s'mores. They chill. They kiss on the girls, you know. <laughs> whatever that you do, about 30 or 40 minutes later, they smell ozone again. Mm. And Jason was like, you could smell it over the campfire smell. He's like, it, it like permeated everything. He described it as this really nasty, coppery smell, like right after you've had a nosebleed. Oh. Um, like it was that metallic back of your throat kind of smell. It was just really Ugh. just nasty. And it immediately made them think that something was on fire, like an electrical something, like a hot plate was left on or something like that. So they searched the trailers and nothing was left on, but they could still smell it. So all of a sudden, they hear people booking through the forest coming down the path. And it's Rooster Tanner and the girl come running into the clearing out of breath. And it's like they don't even break stride to say hi to them. They, like, run right past the campfire and go immediately into the trailer. Oh, shit. And he's like, they are all, like, terrified, like, looks on their faces. And he said his cousin Rooster is crying his fucking eyes out. It's like It's like they are, like, really upset. And, of course, you know, you see somebody crying and running their ass off. Everybody, like, gets up and follows and goes running. Well, their especially ass. if they're running past you. Right? <laughs> exactly. So they all get in, they all pile into the trailers, this group of 11 people or so. Um, and they calm down and they notice, because it's past seven now, that, you know, the fire is getting lower and lower. So Jason and the other cousins say, fuck it, we're going to go outside. We're going to, like, get the generator out because there's no electricity or anything out there and it's getting dark as shit. Um, and Tanner's like, no, lock the door. Ain't nobody going outside. And he's been crying, too. And his eyes are, like, all bloodshot and puffy, and his pants are dirty. And he goes... I thought you were going to say he peed himself. Well, <laughs> have, you know? He goes to tell them that when they went up to his house, his father said, you know, you know, okay, you can go camping. That's great. But make sure, you know, why don't you take a gun on the way back? And Tanner's like, no, we don't need a gun or whatever. Um... But evidently, when Tanner came back, they, you know, well, he wanted him to take a gun because they had, Tanner saw something in the yard because they had, like, an animal around the yard because one of their pigs came up, like, ripped up, mm. like something had eaten it. And they assumed it was, like, one of the big cats or, like, a coyote or something. Uh, but they usually don't mess with live animals like that, so they don't know what it is. Um, so... Sorry, lost my place. Bah, bah. <laughs> so he wanted him to take the rifle and everything, but um, he was like, okay, we'll be okay without the rifle, which, you know, was just a big mistake. <laughs> so they started, <laughs> they started walking back to where they were camping, 
And, um, you know, Rooster finally gets control of himself. And he says that they got halfway into the woods and they started to hear shit in the forest, right? And it's <laughs> almost, it's almost like pitch black. And so they, um, they said that they were, they heard something to the right and the girl looked off, they all looked off to the right and they all like shined their, their flashlights over there and there was somebody standing back in the woods a little. And so Rooster shouted at him and told him that he was scaring the fuck out of them and he was being a huge dick and just <laughs> stopped doing that. Um, and then they realized that the guy was facing away from them. Okay. So they're like, okay, walk faster. So they're walking and they start smelling that nasty coppery smell. Uh. And so they keep walking and then they look on the opposite side of the trail and it's that dude, except he's standing in the forest slightly closer to the path, like away from them. Uh. So about this time they start power walking and Tan goes, <laughs> I should have brought the fucking rifle, right? <laughs> and so, you know, they're telling the story and the smell is still super strong, even in the cabin while they're telling the story. Um, so he says, once they started walking really fucking fast, that something started gibbering on both sides of the trails. And that's when they started booking and they saw the campfire and they ran past everybody. Oh, wow. Um, so <clears throat> when they came in, like, it was gibbering louder and louder, and then they saw something moving out, you know, and then they found the trailer and they went booking. So Jason, he's thinking, we're sitting out here in the fucking uh, woods, and we're assuming at this point that it's some rednecks <laughs> or just somebody just trying to fuck with them, yeah. right? right? Like somebody's just being a dick and <laughs> being out there, um, you know, trying to fuck with them. So after our... Um, you know, everybody kind of calms down. And all of a sudden, you know, everybody seems like there's a lull. Jason's cousin, Junior, starts going about how he went to school with this native kid that was telling him about a goat man or some shit. <laughs> goat man or some shit. Right? <laughs> this is a 16-year-old's, like, talking about this, right? So, of course, they promptly tell Junior to shut the fuck up. <laughs> Because we don't need any spooky talk right now. But he keeps on going on and on about this fucking goat man and how these are his woods and blah, blah, blah. And so now Jason, who is 16, who had never heard of any goat man or anything like that, um, after this long incident's happened, he's reflecting back on it um, in this post. And he had a roommate who was a Menominee of the Menominee tribe, which is a... They're actually a nation of uh, the Native Americans up in Wisconsin. Okay. And he said, basically, um, the goat man is a man with the, goat of a, with the head of a goat, and he can shapeshift, and he gets among groups of people, and he terrorizes them. Oh. And that's like their, you know, folklore about the goat man. But he didn't know this at the time that he was 16. It's supposed to be something kind of like a Wendigo. Wendigo. And um, it's bad mojo to even talk about it, and even worse if you see it. So, of course, this is like hindsight later on that he finds out about it. But back to 16-year-old Jason. So he didn't know this, and his cousin is going, 
And the goat man is going to get in and fucking get them. And the girls are all terrified. And Jason and his cousins are all fucking trying to figure out if it's just some hillbillies or if it's an animal or what the hell's going on. And then all of a sudden, the smell goes away. And he's, and he's, <laughs> and he's like, he claims to this day it's the most bizarre, like, smell instantly stopping that he's ever heard of. He's huh. like, he's never experienced anything where it was so strong that it made your eyes water and then it was gone. Hmm. So, of course, they, you know, it was there one second, it was gone. They're all locked up in this trailer. They stay there for about an hour or more until they stop shitting bricks. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go out and they, like, start getting the fire going on again. Because they're like, okay, we're just freaking ourselves out. It's just some assholes fucking with us. Um, so why don't we, you know, we're not going to go home. We're going to stick here because if we try to go back through the trail, then Mm-mm. they're going to chase us mm-hmm. and it's going to be some crazy shit. So for the rest of night one, nothing happens. So they stay another night. And for the main oh, part, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> because <laughs> it's like they're out there. They're drinking. They've got girls. It's like that pool <laughs> is stronger than the boogeyman. Okay? And this is how every 1980s horror film ever starts. <laughs> right? So most of nothing happens that second night. However, about one in the morning, they're outside getting drunk and telling ghost stories because they're fucking kids, Mm -hmm. right? And somebody finished up a really spooky story, and the smell comes back. Ah. And they said, it's so strong, one of the girls literally starts vomiting. Sure, the beer didn't help either, Uh. but it's probably, yeah. (laughs) So he says, you can actually feel how clammy the air is. And Jason, like, urges everybody back inside the trailer because this shit isn't right. Um, And he goes, you know, we just should have fucking left. He's like, why didn't we fucking leave? So they're back in the trailer, and they're standing around, and Junior keeps going on about how it's the goat man. (laughs) Rooster tries to tell him to shut the fuck up, and there's just a feeling of wrongness, and Jason can't figure out really what the fuck it is. So they all sit, end up sitting in there for a while, and the smell is just as strong, and they're all terrified and huddled in this camper. So they're getting hungry, and they figured instead of like cooking, they have brats. Instead of cooking the brats outside on the campfire, that they're going to, you know, just cook it in the trailer on the hot pan. Um, and so uh, they have so brats come like in a pack of four, right? And they've got three packs. So they get to cooking, and everyone gets a hot dog. And after a while, one of the cousins gets up and goes over to the pot to get another one, and he starts grumbling. And he's grumbling how Jason got two brats, and everybody else only got one. And Jason uh. looks at him like he's fucking stupid, like he can't count. Like uh, He says, everybody got one. Um, and there should be, you know, because there's 12 brats, and if he wants more, he should just shut the fuck up and go cook, you know, another pack or whatnot. And that's when the girl who had been out with Rooster and Tan starts screaming, oh, Jesus, oh, Lord, get it out. What? Because she's, she's crying and she's shivering, and then it dawns on the cousin, and he stands up, um, what the fuck is wrong? And him and Jason look at each other, and he, his heart starts to sink because um, there was only, like, 11 of them, if you remember. Five guys, 
six girls. Oh my god! And they all like, and it only dawns on two of them that all the brats got used up, and everybody got one. And everybody got one. So there are twelve people. So in the there trailer. are tr- we have twelve people. Oh shit! In there. So, so <laughs> they they get the fuck. They get the fuck out of the camera. Uh, camera. The cabin, and the girl runs with them. The trailer door is banging against the side of the trailer, and everybody books it out. Uh, one of the kids at Ch- uh, Jason, what the fuck is wrong? And he starts counting the group. And that's when they say there's only 11 people there. Um, there had been 12 people in the cabin, but that everybody really didn't know each other well. So nobody had really noticed the whole fucking time that there was an extra person, uh. which I totally get. Because even with our small groups together, I mean, we kind of clump like, you know, and so, yeah. So Jason, you know, obviously knew something was off. Um and he's just, he's like, okay, I'm not going to think too hard about this. I'm not going to try to sweat the small stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, because you don't, you know, you're, you're a teenager out there drinking, having a good time. You just really don't want this to, you know, be true. And he's pretty sure that someone else had been in the trailer with him. But not the goat head. What? Yeah, well, except right the goat head. Yeah. He's a shapeshifter. Shapeshifter. Yeah. Right. So, um, and that had been in there for at least a fucking day eating with them. Oh, wow. So to make it worse, Jason couldn't figure out which one because he didn't think everybody actually interacted with the other person, the goat man. And the girl who kept praying to Jesus, um, you know, sitting outside and she's still shooken up. And so they like all decide to get like really big sticks. So they're outside. <laughs> so they're getting their big sticks. To this go is together. the solution. Right. I need so a big stick. Right. And he goes back in, but there's nobody in there. Mm-hmm. So they, they're counting off now. Everybody counts again. There are 11 people. They go back into the trailer. They lock the door. They explained what the fuck happened. And Jesus girl says that she realized <laughs> it too. When she was about to say something in the trailer and the person who was sitting next to her grabbed her leg hard and leaned over towards her and said something she couldn't understand. So they're pretty much scared as fuck at this point and they're huddled together and they eventually fall asleep. This is day three, sunrise. They wake up. And, and leave. And That's what you're doing. Half the people, <laughs> right? You would think, right? So half the people are asleep, and the other half are packing their shit because those are the smart people mm-hmm. in the group. So they all want to go back, but there's a couple of people who want to stay until sunrise is all the way up. And there are some people that think that they're just the guys are fucking with them. They still don't. They still, mm-hmm. yeah. They still think this is stuff that they're making up. And um, Jason just doesn't want to go back into the woods. So uh, Kira, who was Jesus' girl, um, the one that Goatman had touched, said that she wanted to go home and she doesn't want to be in the woods any longer for another night. So they decide to split up. Four want to go um, and can go, right? Uh, But Jason has to stay because it's his uncle's trailer and he has the keys um, so he has to lock up and he's super pissed because he feels like people aren't taking the shit seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, right? Be a man. Shut it down. Be a man, right? Um, and he definitely did not want to be out in the woods another night. But Jason spends the rest of the day trying to convince the other people, which are now four girls and four guys, to get the fuck out of Dodge. And Tanner goes back to get a rifle. 
Um, <laughs> Good boy. Right? So there are just seven of them left by 4 p.m., and around 5 p.m., uh, Tanner hasn't made it back yet, and everybody is getting extremely antsy. And the only reason Jason stopped begging them to go back because the sun was going down and because Tanner was getting a gun, too. So at 5.30 p.m. or so, when one of the cousins says that the girl, Kiara, or it was one of the cousins uh, that stayed, says that the girl, Kiara, is outside. What? And they all look outside, and sure enough, she's standing by the fire pit with her back to the cabin. Uh So Jason is thinking to himself that she was so fucking scared, you know, why is she not coming back in? Why is she standing out there by, you know, herself? And all day that nasty coppery smell had been gone, uh, and he realized at that point that he's starting to smell a tinge of it again. And so he says to the rest of them, um, and these are the people that want to stay in the woods. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> just reading this. And these are the people that wanted to stay in the fucking woods after they had the goddamn goat man in their midst. Is <laughs> still laughing at him um, and asking if he set this up to scare them. He's like, I am not fucking bullshitting you at all right now. Why would I fucking do that? And so one of the girls goes outside to get Kara, and halfway there, she stops cold. And Kiara starts heaving. Oh, God. Like, if somebody with, had their back turned to you and was laughing, but was not making any sounds. And they noticed that there was, like, everything got dead quiet in the woods. There was, like, this is the end of September, so there's cicadas that's supposed to be going on. Fucking chipmunks supposed to be chirping. <laughs> you know, there's supposed to be, like, all these noises going on, but the woods are dead silent. So uh, she noticed that, and so Jason stepped out the door to tell her to come back into the trailer, and she starts backing up into the trailer, and they lock the door, and they pull down the shades except one, and they put a guy like on watch out there to watch her. And she ends up standing there for 20 minutes or so, and the guy turns to say that she's still there, and there's a huge fucking banging on the door at that time. So they all fucking jump and scramble around the living room like, what do we do? What do we do? And the banging is so fucking loud. So now his cousin is holding one of the girls and the other two are kind of giggling with nervous laughter. And Jason and the other guy are shitting bricks. (laughs) So nobody's being very productive about the loud banging noises. And then they hear Tanner screaming, let me fucking in, stop playing. Uh So they go over to the door and open it, and he stumbles in with the rifle, and there's nobody outside. So evidently, he had walked up to the campsite, and nothing weird happened in the forest, but he saw the girl. And mind you, he said it was not Kiara standing oh. there. And that when he got to the edge of the clearing, the girl had turned tor- towards him with like a blank stare on her face and just stared him down and was tracking him as he was walking from the clearing oh, towards camp. God. And he says he wasn't, it wasn't until he was almost halfway to the trailer that he realized that she was getting closer to him. Uh. So she had started off by the fire, and without him even seeing her moved, she had been turning and inching closer towards him. And so he just fucking ran the rest of the way back to the cabin, and when he got to the door and it was locked, he turned, and she was about half the distance to him at that point. So Tanner looks around the room and then gets super pale, 
He pulls Jason to the side and whispers in his ear, you know there are only seven people in here, right? And Jason says, you know that feeling when your stomach drops to your nuts? <laughs> I'm like, no, Jason, I don't know that feeling, but I can imagine. So it had been back inside the trailer while they were sorting out who was going to go where that day. And then when they went outside to talk earlier in the day, it just slipped right back in. So they looked out the window and there's nobody out there and they recount everyone. And then basically Jason asked everybody how many people were here earlier and everybody says eight. So Jason says, well, how many are there now? And they all count and they realize there's only seven people in the cabin. So Tan brought a couple of boxes of ammo because that sounds really good. Teenagers drinking, (laughs) scared shitless with guns. (laughs) Awesome idea, right? So Tanner brought back a couple of boxes of ammo and his rifle, and he told his dad that there was some kind of animal in the woods because he didn't think his dad would believe him if he said it was the goat man, right? (laughs) Um, And Tanner said to his cousins, his cousin is supposed to come down for a few hours in the morning so that they can go back to his place, and then his cousin can drive everybody back home. So he lined that all up for them. Tanner's a good guy. Mm-hmm. So Jason is really terrified, but at least feeling better because they can be American and shoot the fuck out of whatever comes back. <laughs> <laughs> so an argument starts up then because one of the friends thinks that Jason is still trying to be funny and pull pranks on them, and she's getting really scared, and it's just not that funny, right? And I, everyone keeps telling her, Jason's not that kind of person. She says, well, how do you know the girl wasn't just Tanner in a wig? <laughs> or if it's really the goat man, how do you know that this is the real Tanner and that the goat man just didn't kill Tanner out in the woods and take his gun? Seriously, though. I, wonder, <laughs> I wondered that. <laughs> so they get into this huge argument, and Jason and Tanner starts talking about they could be in serious danger because at the very least, someone has been sneaking themselves into their fucking trailer without them knowing and mingling with them. At the worst, something bad is in the fucking forest with them. One of the girls is crying, and she wants to go right now. We're trying to tell her that she shouldn't because none of them are walking their asses through the woods in the middle of the night. And at this point, the sun is starting to go down, and it's getting a little cloudy. So they eat something, and they turn the radio on for a while, and they try to take their minds off of it. And um, about that time, Tan's cousin shows up. So Tanner's cousin's 19. He's a little bit older. And um, and like I said, it's sunset, and he has, like, one of those heavy-duty lanterns with him and a rifle. So he walks up to the trailer, and everyone is asking Tanner if this is really his cousin (laughs) that they're fisting to let in. So he verifies that it's really him. And the guy looks behind him and all around the camp, and he glances at everyone, and he looks a little confused. And he's like, where's your other little buddy at? And I I figured she would meet me up at the cabin. You know, is she a little slow or something? And he also asked whether they'd been cooking blood in the cabin because it smelled like blood and hot pans all the way up the trail. Mm. And they were all fucking nope, (laughs) nope, nope to all that. But they asked him, what are you talking about? Um, And he's talking about that when he came onto the trail, uh, the same one that Tana had used, he's like, one of your buddies was standing in the middle of the trail just looking at me. 
He's like, and he asked her a bunch of questions, and all he did, all she did was just look at him. Then she smiled at him, and hold on, and she smiled at him, and then he just kept walking, and she couldn't seem to keep up with him. She kept lagging a little behind, and he like slowed down to like have her catch up, and she wouldn't never like talk to him. And he asked if she was like hurt or something. There was something wrong with her. Um, but she just continued to stare at him. So eventually, you know, he'd been walking and he turned around or he turned on this bend in the trail. And when he turned around, um, he realized he couldn't see her. So he went back to see if she was okay. And the trail was empty. Mm. So he assumed that she had just taken a shortcut through the woods to the trailer. And they tell him the whole story that's been going on. And Jason half expected him to say that they were full of shit. But he listened, and he sat down in the living room, and Tanner's cousin gets back to the girl, and he says, well, when she kept trying to lag behind him, it's kind of weirded him out because he, was, he tried to keep her in front, and no matter how slow he walked, she always lagged behind him, and he smelled that nasty smell, and it just got stronger and stronger. And as he got to camp, it eventually got really strong, and he said something really, he said he saw something really low, um, or she said something really low that he couldn't catch. And when he turned around, she was like right the fuck on him. Uh. Um, and so he had to like step back away from her. And at this point, he was asking if she was okay and if he could carry her back the rest of the way. And she just kept staring. So he like uh. reached out to like grab her on the shoulder just to touch her. And he said, you know, I must have misjudged the distance because she was off to the side where he put his hand like she had moved while he was looking dead at her. Weird. Like he just went and she was like, you know, now she's over here. And it's like without even blinking. So at this point, uh, they know this shit is real unless Tan <laughs> is playing a joke and they can't tell if he's not because he's, or they can tell he's not because he's almost pissing his pants too. <laughs> he's just as scared as they are. So they load up their rifles, they eat some more, and they're just sitting around until about 11 o'clock. And then at 11 o'clock on the third night, the stink of copper comes back. And it's actually a nasty, gross blood smell, like cooking blood and singed hair. Ugh. And Tan and his cousin, whose name is Reese, they get the fuck up and instantly grab the rifles. And there's a half knocking, half clawing at the door. Uh. And there's this voice. And it sounds like when you see YouTube cat and dog videos where the owners are trying to get them to say words. So it's talking like that. It's like this halting, weirdly toned voice, and it's saying, let me the fuck in, stop fucking playing. And one of the girls just starts crying and calling on Jesus, and it was so fucking obvious that it wasn't a person. Um, he said it didn't have the right cadence. He's like, when people talk, there's a rhythm to it. He's like, there was no cadence to this talk. Um, he's like, it was just the weirdest thing. He's like, you know, the YouTube cats, you know, like, what the fuck is outside of our door right now? So, of course, they're on full terror mode. They keep yelling outside, who is it? Stop fucking around, man. And it just kept saying, in, or let me the fuck in, for about 15 minutes, and then the smell goes away. Ugh. So, for the next hour or so, you can hear somebody basically creeping around the woods, 
Um, every couple of minutes, it comes back to the door and says something. And then finally, the smell faded away. It's around 2 o'clock in the morning. And Reese just gets up, and he's like, man, fuck this. He opens up the door, walks out (laughs) with his rifle, and he fires a shot into the air, and he says something to the effect, in the name of Jesus Christ, go the fuck away. (laughs) (laughs) And so he fires two more times, and then something in the woods right up against, you know, they were swimming in the river earlier. Um, It sounded like a slow, gibbering, hooting sound that starts flying to him. And then it starts screaming. Uh. Like, it sounds almost like a woman and a cat in a bag together screaming. <laughs> a woman and a cat in a bag that's together. <laughs> what, that's what he says. It's like you can hear it over in the brushes, and it starts to shake, and Reese fires over the tree lines and starts backing back into the trailer. They lock the door, and they can hear the shit keening and screaming. Reese says something had come out of the bushes super low and literally screamed and carry on constantly for the, you know, and it keeps screaming and carrying on for the next two hours, what he saw. Um, And they could hear the shit moving in the, you know, tree line. So it's it's terrorizing them, right? But it never comes back up into the cabin, and finally they fall asleep. Everybody but Tan. So Tan sat in the chair watching the door the whole night with his rifle. And nobody else heard or saw this. But two days after they go back um, home, he talks to Jason, and he tells Jason this story. He says he'd been nodding off after all the screaming and noises had stopped, and he was almost asleep when he saw someone come out of the bathroom. And then they'd lay down in the middle of the floor and go to sleep. And he just assumed it was someone in the group Um, And he had nodded off. And then he says he kind of realized something was wrong. And while pretending to be asleep, he counted everybody. Oh, my God. And there were nine people in the cabin. He basically didn't want to try to shoot at the fucking thing in the cabin and have it kill all of them. Right? 1980s movie. (laughs) Um, And, you know, he didn't want to, you know, wake Reese up because Reese would start shooting and then they would all kill each other. Yeah. Um, so that he just stayed awake all night pretending to be asleep. And he says sometimes it would stand up and kind of do this weird jittery thing. Oh my God. Or it'd start to heave like it was laughing and then it would lay back down. So when they woke up, so Tan keeps this all to himself while they're doing this. So the last day they wake up and Jason noticed that Tan is a little jittery himself and was avoiding looking at everybody. And so they ate some breakfast, packed the fuck up, and started walking to Tanner's house. Finally. Right? So he stayed, um, he, he told Jason that he was going to stay back and lock up and just give him, you know, lock up and check everything. That they go ahead and Tanner's, you know, going to lock up, gets his keys and all that. And so Jason's like, what the fuck? Come on, man. He's like, no, 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 give me the keys. I'll lock up the trailer and I'll catch up with you. So they do that. And they get up a little bit towards the path. And then Tanner kind of comes running up um, all of a sudden to the front of the group. And he's like, hey, y'all, let's, let's jog the rest of the way. And they're like, okay. So they <laughs> all jog the way, all the way back to Tanner's home and then, you know, for us to take them home. So that two days later after, you know, Tanner told him about the thing coming in and laying in the middle of the floor and then getting up, Tan tells Jason 
that when he went back to lock up, that he went into the bathroom and there was a window in the bathroom and they were they didn't notice that it was a screenless window and the window was down. So the window was like opened all the time that they were in there and that's oh. how that thing was getting in. And uh. it would come and it would like wait for them to fall asleep and slip in amongst them. So that's one of the things that Tanner noticed. So when Tanner came running in to meet up with the group before they saw him, he noticed that there was like too many people in the group when they're walking back to the house. And so he goes, he says he walked up to the back and he looked at this person and he's like, there's this other person that walked all the way back to the house. Um, and he was kind of lagging in the back. And then when Tanner walked up, it looked him dead in the eyes before walking off into the woods. Uh, and that is the story of Jason and the Huntsville Goat Man. Oh, my God. <laughs> Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And check out our website, thestrangesouth.com. All our social media links are there. And for extra fun and goodies, join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast. And if you love us so much that you want to support what we do and get bonus episodes and behind-the-scenes photos and videos, please consider joining our Patreon, Patreon, Patreon at www.patreon.com slash thestrangesouth. If your boyfriend's nut cracks, <coughs> if your boyfriend's nut cracks, it means he's cheating on you. <laughs> if it burns silently, it means he's in love with you and you'll get married. This is, okay, I'm not even shitting you. This is, this is the rhyme that you said when you played this game. If you hate me, pop and fly. If you love me, burn and die. <laughs>